Hi, everyone. Welcome to this special interview. This is Scott Cantor with Smart Solutions Media, and I am really excited to be joined with a relatively uh, new friend of mine. Uh, we just met uh, two or three weeks ago, but from our first conversation, I knew that this was uh, an individual, a gentleman who I wanted to make sure that all of you who are accessing this interview uh, got to meet and got to know because he is a wealth of knowledge. He's a wealth of experience. He's got a lot to share. And just in our casual conversation of our first meeting, and I told him this that day, I think I had like two or three pages of notes. And, and the, the goal was not for me to pick his brain. He was just talking and I was just writing. And so there was a lot of great insight about his experience, uh, the processes he utilizes, the tools that he utilizes to do what he does. Um, but I don't want to take any more time. You don't need to hear me uh, hear me div- deliver a monologue. I want this to be Jim's time. So I want to welcome uh, Mr. Jim Kestenbaum to our uh, to our interview today. And Dr. Jim, thank you so much for being willing to carve out the time and uh, and invest it in our people. You're very welcome, Scott. Good to be very here. Good. Excellent, excellent. Well, so like I start with all of my guests, Jim, uh, tell us a little bit about your origin story, right? How you got started, your kind of your background and the beginning of your incredible career as an independent advisor and consultant. Sure. So it begins probably as an undergraduate, Union College, connected to New York, uh, being very interested in becoming a psychologist. I pursued graduate study. And when I got to University of Maryland, where I got my master's, my PhD in counseling psych, got a minor in industrial organizational psych, I did not know about industrial organizational psychology when I was applying for graduate school. But I got there and I'm going, this stuff is really cool. And sort of figured somewhere this needs to find a place in my career. I just don't want to be a full-time therapist. Well, fast forward, what happened was I became more and more interested in it. Um, Actually, in graduate school, had an opportunity to get some training and work for a consultant in Washington, D.C. And I'm going, I really like this stuff. And then made a decision that someday I want to practice that has both sort of the clinical element and the consulting element. When I graduated, I worked in somebody else's practice for a while and then opened up my own practice and started with mostly being a counseling psychologist, but found that I really enjoyed the consulting and ultimately became just a consultant to businesses. And that's what I do right now. The reason that I find it so interesting is that it's a few things. I'm really fascinated with how people are in the business world. It moves very, very fast. It's very dynamic. It's very results-oriented. So for me, those are all big turn-ons. I like that everything is very actionable. Um, So I spent some time in academia, not quite as actionable. So that's how I sort of got into doing this. What I like about being self-employed, which I've been since 1991, I like to tinker and create stuff. And I found that by having my own organization, you know, as long as I'm feeding my family, I can do anything I want to do during the day. And, and that's, in fact, what I've done with the solutions group. I played with different kinds of models of consulting. Um, I've been able to increase my expertise. So one of my areas of expertise actually is doing leadership assessments. That's the way, actually, Scott, you and I connected. I may be getting into doing strategy cons- uh, assessments. So it's kind of where it began. I've experimented with making my company bigger through headcount. And then ultimately decided I didn't want to do that. I enjoy the work too much. So I didn't want to just do managing and selling. I like actually doing the work. And that was a bit of an epiphany for me. Um, So, you know, here we are almost 30 years later. 
I've consulted in over 300 companies at this point, which is really just a matter of, for those of you more at the beginning of your career, if you stick at this long enough, you can make it into a big number. That's it just time to that. But still, I'm very passionate about the work. have no real thoughts of retiring. Um, I find that there are just new things to learn and new client challenges out there. So pretty much my background. That's great. And so tell us a little bit about the solutions group. Kind of give us a framework or an overview of, of what your firm looks like, what the advisory practice does, maybe the, the key services uh, that you provide, but, but ultimately the key results that you help your clients create. Sure. There are, are basically four sweet spots. So the first one is executive leadership and other leadership development. Almost all of my executive, all my coaching is with executives. So there's that piece. But I also do leadership development programs for other people at other levels of the workforce. So not unusual. I'm usually called in first to work with some top executive, including it could be an owner. But then they'll say, so what else do you have? I remember years ago, a client of mine said, I really enjoy being coached by you. I'm the president of the company. But if we do these one at a time, it's going to take you 200 years. <laughs> so what I said, well, I, we have the group version of this. So I do that. The second thing is assessment, and assessment covers a broad range. So a lot of it is assessing individuals on their leadership skills, which falls into four domains. How are they motivated? How do they solve problems? How do they get along with people? And how do they lead and manage? But also there's 360-degree assessments. I do those. Um, I do culture assessments, and I may actually be doing strategy assessments. As a psychologist, what gives me a unique skill in this is that it's my training to understand what the assessment can deliver, and it's a skill in being able to interpret it. So I'm not unique in that skill set, but there are not tons of us across the country. And assessments have, you know, you know this, Scott, assessments have become very popular in the world of business. So me being able to help to, uh, my clients figure out, you know, what do you want to accomplish in terms of measuring folks? Does the assessment we've picked, will it deliver on its promise? And then being able to help them to understand the results of the assessment. My clients like that. The last thing is sort of like, what's the impact of the work? That's a typical question. Actually, my clients will ask new ones. They'll say, so how do we know if this stuff is working? I'll say, same way you know anything else in your business is working. Measure it. Are you making money? Are you saving money? Is your staff getting stronger? Are you expanding your market footprint? I'll say, use those measurements. I said, if I can't affect the way your business functions, then I've not been successful. I'm going to do it all through the people channel. Yeah. So I can't help you on, you know, operational excellence and I can't help you to come up with a new sales strategy, but in that little slice that you're going to put me into, you should see noticeable ways in which your company begins to function. You'll be able to see it. You won't have to measure it. You'll just see it. Yeah. And in fact, when it's a, an engagement where I've been able to accurately figure out what a client needs and may put some skin in the game, and they're working with me as partners, that's the kind of result that we see. No question. You know, the thing I like about that is a lot of consultants, and I'll, I'll use the term very broadly, in your space of leadership and self-assessments and performance uh, focused around people, a lot of consultants, at least that, that I have observed uh, in the past, it's not that they, they often, let me say it this way, not always, but often they don't like to put their their interventions or their engagements up against uh, an ROI or very delineated or very client focused measurement, you know, capability. Right? It's always about 
it's always more ethereal. It's more abstract. But what you're saying is, no, no, no. If the client isn't seeing meaningful impact from the work that I'm doing, even though I'm not touching this, this, or this, I'm touching the person or the people or the team. If they're not seeing meaningful impact, then it's not, it's not a fit. So you're not, you're, not only are you not running away from that or, or trying to distance yourself from it, you're, you're actually embracing that. Was that, was, is that just who you are? Is that part of sort of the philosophy of your practice? And the reason I, I, I wanted to dive down on this is because this question of value and result is so critical in today's world, right? Especially for the independent advisor. When you have a client s- ask that question, what's the value of your service? What's the impact of your service? I, I want to encourage the consultants that I work with, and I want to be one of them, to, to not be afraid of that question, but to actually embrace it. How did you get to that, I guess, that level of confidence or that level of belief in your own methodology and in your own uh, own results? Did it come after the results were created and you said, I can do this? Or was it just sort of a philosophy from the beginning? It's a few things. One is the reason that I like being a consultant is that I'm pragmatic. So when I'm a client or a customer and I purchase a product or service, I want to make sure it's going to work. So I want to extend that to my clients. The confidence to do it came from my coach, actually. So I had a coach for 10 years. He was terrific. He retired. That's the only reason we stopped. But that there were times that I wondered about the impact of a consulting psychologist on a business. Yeah. And he said to me, you should be much more confident about what you bring to the table. Don't start thinking you need to be something different. You just need to be you and it'll work out. And so I still trust him a lot. And what I started to do then is when I'm in my client companies and we're beginning to get some processes going, I'll pay very close attention to where am I having impact. And in particular, if a client says, oh, you know, we were about to uh, hire this person, and Jim, you said, you know, probably not a great idea to hire them. When we passed and went with somebody else, we probably avoided making a hundred thousand dollar error. And in my head, I went, "That was me." I don't say it to them; that would be rude. But <laughs> yeah, but I do keep track of my head a little bit. That was me, and that was me. So if we ever get into a discussion about what's the value, I say, "Remember, you almost made that hiring error." Said, so I'll make up a number. I charged you $50,000 last year, but I saved you $100,000. So I said, you're $50,000 in the black. Yeah. And what I think, though, that typically happens, though, is that if a person's going to hire a psychologist as a consultant, they have to have a lot of faith that the people of their company is what's going to make them successful. Yeah. So they're like partly converted already. Yeah. And I, look, and I look for that kind of client. So... It's rare that we get into a process and a company says, we don't know if this is working. It's like, well, you hired me for a reason with the skill set. And while I'm not psychoanalyzing anybody, I do look at people's motivation. I look at their initiative. I look at their skill sets. So it's like they're into the style of thinking already. So I don't have to come at it defensively and said, you know, I did save you this or save you that. They already have a belief in it. Yeah. But I also feel that, you know, Consulting services are not inexpensive and that if somebody says, are we just going to sort of get a feel good experience from this? I'll say there's got to be a cheaper way of doing that than hiring me. I said, that's right. 
heck, you know, for what for what I'm going to charge you, you should go to an island and spend a week there or something. And said it's still cheaper than me. So yeah. and and I'm half facetious and I'm half serious that yeah. if you just want to, even if you just want to feel good, couldn't you all just like go out for dinner at a nice restaurant and call it a day? I said I'm going to make you invest some a serious amount of time into this thing. Right. And I'm just sort of letting them know if you're willing to put in the work, you're going to see a great result. And if you don't want to do that, this is actually Scott was saying to say, it's okay. Maybe someday you'll change your mind and you want to work with me again. But as a consultant, you have to have confidence that what you bring can have an impact on your client's business and on their lives. And I agree with something you said just a while ago. Part of that does come from just it's the years of doing it. But yeah. even for the folks who might be watching this interview and are newer at this game, Pay close attention about the impact. And I've also, this is something I've done with clients. If I'm unsure of my exact impact, I ask. So I'll see, there's a client of mine who through the years has quintupled in size. They're enormous. And I know I didn't do all of that, but I wanted to know, was there a, a solutions group piece to that? So I asked, I asked the president of the company, said, did I have anything to do with that? They went, yeah. They said, you helped us to change our culture. If you had not helped us to change our culture, the amount of change we did would have crushed us. Wow. So we, so we didn't get crushed. We're still growing. And it's because of the culture you helped us to install. So what's nice is, you know, if you're in doubt, ask your client. Right. And right. they'll tell you. And if it's, if it's saying, no, we don't think you're doing anything, it's important to know that. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's uh, I have another client who said, you know, you should always rush to trouble. So exactly. yeah. it's like, okay. And then you can ask the person, gee, I thought you liked this and I thought you liked that. And if they're not, then it gives you a sense of, can we tweak what we're doing or are we sort of at the end here? Yep. So you really can't lose by asking that. And the fact is you want that kind of a relationship with your clients. There's a phrase that I use like, and I, I do this in the first sales call with a prospect. I'll say, I want us to have a partnership, not like a financial or a legal one, but that I want us both to bring the best of ourselves to this engagement and say, I'll always know more about organizational and leadership development than you will. So, Because this is the way I spend my day. So you're always going to know more about your company, your industry, because I'm, I'm a visitor to your industry and a visitor to your company. But if we combine those things, we can make some magic happen here. So I said, that's what I want to do. And what I'm letting them know is, is that if they like that style of working, this is going to go really well and we're going to have some fun. If they don't, this is their chance to object to it and maybe decide they want somebody else. And I got to tell you, Scott, I'm fine with that. It's like, let's all spend our day the way we want to. That's great. That's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. I love the partnership conversation and I, I may be... I may be sharing that with some future clients of mine as well, because it, it frames the type of relationship that most consultants want to have. And it frames it in a very concise way, a very clear way. And the note that I also took, and I've taken several here, but paying attention to the impact that you have, right? Uh, it seems like something that you should do anyway, right? I've been doing direct consulting in different forms and different fashions over the last, you know, 15, 20 years or so, but I'm still, I still got a long career left. I'm still guilty of this from time to time where I'll just take it for granted that I'm not only delivering value, but they're perceiving and receiving the value that, that I know I'm delivering. And I don't pay attention to it like I should. And, and I've tried to make part of my process being 
these reevaluations or f- opportunities for feedback where I'm asking the client that question directly and strategically. It's been it's been invaluable in terms of the types of feedback you get. Certainly the positive feedback and the ego stroking doesn't hurt. I, I okay. welcome I welcome that from time to time. But the the things that have helped the most have been the critical points of feedback where they say things like, Scott, we really like this, but if we could do it in this way, or is this a service that you provide too? Because this is a missing piece of the puzzle and it may or may not be, but I know it's a missing piece of the puzzle to them. I can help them find that piece. So just having that awareness of the impact that you create, I think is really important. So that's great. As we're recording this, Jim, it is early summer of 2020 and the world has been gripped by this this global pandemic. Certain industries have been effectively decimated. Others have been squeezed. Others have been so far relatively unscathed. In the world of independent consulting, uh, the the folks who are watching this, you and I, um, and obviously it depends on the markets that you serve, right? Someone who's serving travel or hospitality, you know, is probably gonna be struggling and they may need to find their way into a different path, at least for now. But Mm -hmm. For most business strategists and most independent consultants, I've been asking this question over the last few months of my guests, and I want to get your perspective on this. From what you've seen in the world and how the pandemic has shaped things, the level of chaos and uncertainty it's created, and we still don't know exactly when or how it's going to to end. We know that sooner or later it will, but we don't know exactly when or how. What advice would you give to any of us? right, uh, who are dealing with this. This is somewhat of an unprecedented situation, but elements of it aren't precedented, right? Economic downturn is not uh, unprecedented um, and so forth. So what is your, what's your take on how it's affected an independent consultant and how they might need to think about their business or how they should think about leading their business during this time when their clients have a bunch of questions and they have a bunch of questions? I guess it's a few things. The first, when you were sort of listening through the industries, there's one industry you did not mention which is probably makes the situation the easiest, which is if you're in some form of technology or high tech, those companies are doing phenomenally well. Yeah, right. um, so, you know, we're on a Zoom call. If you're working for Zoom, you're probably doing okay. But what I'm finding is all my clients right now are not in those industries. I'm not really in high tech that much. Yeah. But that the thing you need to do, I guess it's a few things. Number one, even if your clients have cut back or have stopped working with you, see it as temporary. Don't see it as permanent. There are two big reasons for that. Number one, there's a chance they don't see it as permanent. Right. And that if you drop off the radar, their need for your service didn't go away. They're going to get that need filled somewhere else. So in addition to remembering to stay in touch with your clients because they're eventually going to have the same needs as they did before the pandemic hit their companies. It's important, particularly as an owner, but as any level of consultant, you got to keep your head in the game. And if you start saying, well, you know, I'll just have a lot of free time now and I can get up later and stop working earlier, that's going to change the way you look at your business and it'll do a number on you. Some of the things I've done is, gone back through my client list and figure out who are folks I can just connect with. And in particular, what I encourage folks to do, connect with gatekeepers. So for me, major source of gatekeepers, accountants. They got to see their clients every quarter. They're with a lot of different clients. So go to your gatekeepers. Network with people 
also who know a lot of people, not necessarily gatekeepers, but people who are out in the community, realtors, attorneys, life insurance people do that. If you can offer some pro bono service, particularly to a not-for-profit, so they might want somebody who's going to give a talk, give a talk, you know, a one-hour Zoom meeting. And that way you get exposure potentially to people who have never met you before. And it gives you some entree, particularly if the organizer of that event is willing to give you a list of the participants so you can reach out and just sort of let them know I'm out here if you want to connect with me, so forth and so on. So there's those two pieces that you got to keep in mind. It's not easy. I don't want to portray this as easy. I guess the third thing is, is look at your product offerings. And there are some things that, at least in the short term, might not work as well, mm-hmm. that anything you can offer more effectively remotely, try to grow that. So for me, it's the assessments. I can do them anywhere in the world and they're really easy to do and I can review the results on some kind of a video meeting. So look at your services and don't say, well, this is what I've always done. This is what I have to do. No, it's not. And seek counsel of people who are similar advisors, but not in your domain without getting into all the details. The way that I indirectly met you, Scott, Mm -hmm. was the person who introduced you to me was int- I was introduced to him by another person who I used to coach. And that person is also a high-level professional advisor. So I said to him, I said, do you have any advice for me, you know, as I'm looking at my business? He said, yeah. So you should make your marketing specific to the exact client you want. He said, don't pitch to the 80%. Pitch to the 20% you really want. So right now, I'm finishing up a new website. It's all geared towards that. I'm going, I might not attract as many prospects, but the ones that I attract, these are the ones I really want to work with. And it may even sound crazy going, all right, if consultancies are shrinking during this period of time, why would you do that? You're going to have higher quality clients who are going to want more services, who are going to pay more for your services. And importantly, you're going to have a better time with it. It's going to be more fun. So it's not real intuitive, but reach out to other professional advisors not in your field, who you know, and just say, what do you think I should be doing right now to really work on my consultancy? They'll tell you. It's invaluable. So that's some of my thoughts around the around the pandemic. No, it's great. It's great. I mean, you, keeping your head in the game and maintaining your routines as much as you can and not letting the pandemic be an excuse for not continuing to take your business seriously or a reason why you pull back, right, I think is huge. And unfortunately, I mean, I know some some have, and, and not just independent consultants, but across industries, right? Some people have seen it as that opportunity. And I think even if their business is able to sustain and maintain through the worst of it, you're gonna you're gonna pay the price for that sooner or later, right? In some shape, form, or fashion. So right. think of the opportunities that you have in spite of the pandemic, as opposed to the challenges you have because of it. And I think that that, that attitudinal mindset shift is really important. And I think the manifestation of that is maintaining the routine. I know for me, I didn't know how to articulate it, but for me, it's exactly what you just described. Uh, and, and I'm not doing near what I think I'm capable of, right, in terms of my practice. I know there's more opportunities to be had in ways that I can be more efficient and more effective. But at the end of the day, when it was time to stay at home, beginning in the middle of March, I, I said, okay, now it's time to get serious, right? Because if I'm going to, if I'm going to make this work, if I'm going to continue to run my practice and grow my practice, I've got to be more focused now than ever because so many other people aren't going to be. So I think it, that advice is huge. 
related, and, and you just gave some of this advice, but I, I want to tap more into, into your wealth of experience having run a, a successful advisory company for so long. In terms of growth, you know, where there's so much consolidation across the consulting space, acro- across professional services generally, right? A lot of independents are getting e- eaten up. It doesn't really matter what industry you're in. Certain ones are accelerating faster than others. But I don't want to say the independent consultant is a rare breed because with technology now, and the internet and and the things that it's made available to advisors and consultants, I think the number of independent consultants is actually expanding, hopefully for the better, not the worse, right? Hopefully it's not diluting the quality of the work. Uh, In some cases it may be, but the opportunity to be an independent consultant, I think is still there. The opportunity to be a successful growing independent consultant and having a, a flourishing advisory practice is a little different. Let's talk about the latter from your experience. Uh, a lot of independent consultants want to grow. They want to be that flourishing advisory. They do have expertise and skill sets that other people need, but they're having trouble bridging that gap between I have expertise and skill and I need to get in front of worthy opportunities. So in your experience, what what are some of the best things that you've done or, or best ways to think about growing your practice strategies around prospecting or marketing or selling any of that? I had a strange advantage based upon when I started my practice. There was virtually nothing going on with the internet available to people. There was no such thing as social media. So I had to do things another way Mm -hmm. and I still do them. I am a big fan of networking. Yeah. And when I was, particularly when I was building the practice, I probably at least three times a week, I networked with somebody I didn't know who is brought to me by somebody I do know. So I've never made a cold call in my life, but it's all based upon years and years and years of building a network. There's a book, the guy's name is Berkus. I'll get it to you later. He has a wonderful book on networking that the idea is don't just keep on going back to the people you know. Use the people that you know to get names of people who you don't know and just meet with them. The second thing that I would add to that is Don't see every networking connection as, can I get business from it? Just say, I'm growing a network and eventually this will bear fruit. And and it does. I got a referral about three or four days ago from somebody I haven't seen in years, really years. But I've stayed in contact with him and actually his name was on a list that I was going to reach out to him. He made a really nice referral. I didn't ask him to do that, but... This is somebody I've known him, gosh, known him since 94. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that build the network, take care of the network. There are also ways to take care of your network. So all of us have some subject matter expertise. That's Share true. that for free. So I'm always a fan. So one thing I did yesterday, um, I'm connected with somebody on LinkedIn who's another consultant who is also a recruiter. He had a job opening. There's a job opening with somebody that's relevant to somebody that I'm coaching. I connected the two together. I love doing that. It's for me, I like being helpful for people in my network. They benefit from it. I like sending articles to people. It might just, it might be a link. It might be a YouTube video. It might be a PDF. Cause one of the things I'm known for is I'm a voracious acquirer of information. So people will say, so what are you reading right now? It's like, well, right now I'm reading. So that's the way you build the initial relationships, and that's how they become long-term relationships. You just take care of them. 
and it's it's not that hard and it doesn't have to be a once a quarter or every half a year just keep top of mind awareness that you have this growing interconnected web of people and sometimes they know each other right and that if you just keep on putting your name out there and providing value to them even when it's not charging for a service that will eventually convert into business i don't do it exactly for that reason although it's part of the reason mm -hmm. i also like networking which yeah. which helps like yeah. i like being around people so and you can still do this in the middle of covid that you reach out to people i have a lot of facetime meetings and zoom meetings and not everyone I'm, i never say so do you know somebody who i could be helping now that's kind of minor lead just make it an enjoyable and useful conversation for the other person they'll remember you you have to have sort of faith in that process so i've been doing this now for 30 years um in terms of the networking i did do it more when i was earlier in my career but i'm still doing it yeah and yeah well i mean i can affirm you're walking the talk uh related to networking because the only reason uh that we're having this interview session was because of your willingness to reach out and network with me after our initial conversation. And of course, just like you said, that initial conversation came from a connection of a connection of a connection, I guess. So the yeah. only reason we're doing this interview and people are getting your wisdom uh, who, are, who, are, who know me is because of this exact strategy you're talking about right now and, and, and operationalizing it, right? Not just saying, I like networking, but actually walking the talk, right? Doing, yeah. doing what you need to do. And I love this idea of, I, I was making some notes and you think about cultivating that network, right? And so you said, you know, who can you connect them with, right? Be a connector as, as you identify relevant needs that could be matched together, be a connector, share content, right? The articles, content, and then don't be afraid to have those conversations. So I just wrote down this framework, right? Connector content conversations. It's like, okay, now I know exactly what I need to do to cultivate my network. So that's a great one, two, three. That's fantastic. And and I will also indict myself. I love people. I don't mm -hmm. think I think most independent consultants and advisors do, but I'm not the I'm not the glad handing guy that's really great in a networking environment, right? A cocktail environment where I'm going up and meeting brand new people. I'm just not good in that. I say I'm not good in that environment. Uh, there's probably some psychology there that you could educate me on, Jim. But regardless, I perceive that I'm not good in that environment. I can turn it on and turn it off. It's not something that I really enjoy doing. Let me say it that way. Doesn't mean I don't like people. And so I've had to find ways to to create that network. And what I found is exactly what you just said, which is it doesn't I can create a network not having to go to a cocktail meeting. All right. I can create a network one person at a time and just asking for those introductions to people I don't know, rather than it being a constant echo chamber where I'm only talking to the people that I know. And so anyway, I think it is really important advice for someone to hear that networking is and has been and remains probably one of the most impactful ways to grow a business, short term, medium term, and especially long term. Because uh, so, it's so easy to get caught up in the shiny object syndrome, right? The latest technology and the latest this and the latest that. And at the end of the day, it is about who you know and who knows you. So that that's what networking is about. Let's talk about maybe managing and leading a practice. So one of the things that I've personally found is I will focus so much on working in the business and delivering the goods, right? Delivering, trying to deliver value and then focus on my other time on growing the business, right? 
that oftentimes I will take my eyes off kind of the infrastructure or the management piece of the business. You've had a practice for a, a successful practice for a while. Is there any kind of management or leadership axioms or approaches or processes that that you developed early on that you continue or that you've learned over time in terms of managing or leading the practice to stay organized, to, to keep your head on straight so that you're not always jumping from thing to thing to thing? Where I got this idea is that early in my practice, almost all my clients were manufacturing companies. Okay. And they were really good manufacturing companies. Yeah. And the thing I learned is what made them successful was their processes. And I didn't know anything about Kanbans and KPIs. And it was really a different language. And I watched what they were doing going, this is how they create this degree of efficiency and quality. So I just decided these ideas port to a consulting practice just fine. So the thing I'll confess to you is this is not the way my brain works, though. I'm a little bit ADD-ish, actually. Mm-hmm. So I got, all right, I got to surround myself by pro- with process-oriented people. So the other people in my practice are that. Okay. And w- so when I sit with them, we, we got a very large testing contract about seven, eight years ago. And our way of writing executive leadership assessments wasn't going to work. It would have taken us a year to deliver on the project, and that was too slow. So another person in the practice who's Dr. Alice Martinez, who's also my wife, is very process-oriented. And she's got the same background as I do. She's also a psychologist. And so I said, if I gave you the bare bones about what a new process is supposed to look like, could you turn it into a real process? She said, yeah, I can. So we sort of contributed what we could do. I I said, I have a picture in my brain of what this report looks like. If you can turn it into steps, we're in business. And she did that. In our practice, we have all sorts of manuals for doing things. And what we do is it makes it so that a relatively small number of people, there are three of us in the practice, we can kind of work like six because yeah. we are able to get efficiencies through our accounting software, through um, our testing procedures. And we try to make it so that on things that we are doing repetitively, that we don't have to think about them. Mm-hmm. We can just pull them up and bang, we're doing them. And then going back to what you're saying before, Scott, that allows particularly me to concentrate on getting new business and servicing clients. That's what I want to be doing, not sort of reinventing the wheel every day, which I would find frustrating. So some of the people might be watching saying, I'm just one person. I have not, I don't have a staff yet. Say, start building little manuals for yourself about the things you do repetitively. So again, I'll pick one. If you are in the assessment space, Create a little manual that has all your contact information for your vendors and how do you buy new assessments and how do you score them and so put all that in a spot and then do it for each of the assessments. And that way, then when you have to go back and launch, let's say a Myers-Briggs, you have to think about it. You, you turn to the Myers-Briggs section or you pull up the file on your computer. You go, oh, there it is. There's the phone number. This is how I buy it. This is what I do. And it'll be a fraction of the time. And you're not cluttering up your brain with figuring out everything else anew every single time. Yeah. So that's, that's the way that we've been able to grow this, that we can concentrate on servicing present clients and finding new clients. And the rest of it, it's almost like a little factory that just kind of runs in the background. It's invisible to our clients. All they know is, is that we are hyper-efficient. Our quality is very high. What we do is very quick. And they don't know how we do it, but 
we imagine ourselves being like manufacturers, except what we're manufacturing is consulting expertise. That's good. That's the way we do it. So I want to follow on to that. And this may be a little bit more self-serving for me because this is a, a, a place where I'm challenged uh, from time to time today. And I suspect others will be able to relate to this. But hearing you talk about this, I, I think you probably have some valuable insight. And that is about client management. So one of the things that I'm experiencing now, which is I'm on the right side of the problem. So I'm very thankful for that. But from an individual standpoint, from my own individual time in terms of delivery, delivering what I say I'm going to deliver at at a high enough quality that I need to. I'm not at capacity yet. Personally, if you look at my, my, my weekly calendar, right? I'm not at capacity. I could, I have a little bit of wiggle room there, but I can imagine being at capacity. I'm just curious, obviously these this infrastructure piece you're talking about, creating these processes, the nature of that in part is designed to streamline your efficiency and open up new capacity so you can take on new clients. But, but, but that's what I want to talk about. Do you have a certain number of clients that you know you can take on at different project levels? And if someone else comes and knocks on your door and says, Jim, we, we want to work with you, you just say, I can't right now. The, the, the pipeline is full. How do you manage that is really what I'm trying to, to get around in terms of client management. Yeah, there's a, for people that, for companies that are buying a full day of service every other week, Mm -hmm. because I'm the only outward facing consultant, I can do three of those a month. Okay. I know at four, I think I've gotten to four, uh, the wheels kind of fall off, meaning it overly stresses me. I can still deliver a high quality product Mm -hmm. and I'm making a lot of money. It's not as much fun. And, you know, if I'm going to go through the trials and tribulations of being self-employed, this better be fun. Yeah. Otherwise, I go to get a job. It's much easier. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what I'm aware of in myself, and this is not a good thing, but that when I find myself getting to maximum capacity, I know I market less. So yeah. Yeah. it's almost sort of like an unintentional organic process. So some of your, some of the folks who are looking is going, well, Jim, why don't you hire somebody? Well, because now you've introduced a level of complexity. I've done that in the past. I had three consultants working for me at one time, and they were all good fellows. But the problem was is, is that now I have a management task, and I didn't want a management task. I like servicing clients. That's the reason I went into this. So eventually, they all sort of attrited out of the out of the practice, and they made a decision. I want to be able to have enough business so that I can deliver a high quality product, make the money I want to and enjoy myself. But I don't want to go above that. So again, it's not the best answer in the world, but it's what I do. It's kind of organic. And then if I see that we're getting below that level, I amp up my marketing and say, right, it's, it's very simple, Scott. Who haven't I met with in a while? I just, oh, I haven't spoken to her in a long time. And I'll start putting that out there. I might start writing a little bit more I'm about to launch a blog, so I know I'm going to be putting that out there more front and center. And I think the idea is, is that that I want to share with your listeners, you got to be very in touch with where your practice is at all times in terms of uh, your cash flow, number of clients, hours you're putting in. Time management is a major part of this game. And that what I'll say to folks is, I didn't invent this technique, but I call it blocking time, that you got a project to do, you should schedule that on your calendar. Because then when you look at your outlook every week, 
you know the amount of time you need to spend to do all your activities. So, you know, on today's schedule, I have a report to write that's almost done. And I write newsletter articles for my clients. It's one of the ways of also networking. I have one article to do before I'm done for today. So those are actually book times on my schedule. And by looking at financial activity, how I'm using my time, it does give me a sense of sort of, am I beginning to max? If I get to that point and somebody says, I want to start a project with you in a couple of weeks and I'm maxed, I'll, I'll take the initial sales call with them. But I might say, is there any like wiggle room on this a little bit? And more often than that, they're going to say, it's fine. You know, you want to start in a month. Actually, in that project that I told you about where we did our testing approach, this is the biggest ask I ever asked. I said, I want six months. I'll say your testing project, we don't have to conclude that for a while. If you give me six months instead of us starting now, I can bring you something that's special and you're not going to pay anything for it. And the guy said, I'm fine with that. So I said, I'm going to evaporate out of your life right around five months. I'm going to email you or call you, and we're going to start scheduling these people. It's exactly what happened. So clients, it's more that rush to trouble stuff. A lot of clients, they're more understanding than folks would think. And I think a lot of times, particularly folks who are newer at this game of consulting, they feel they have to sort of act a certain way with them. Then you want to be able to be yourself with them. And if you have a challenge or you have an ask, nothing can hurt to ask. If they say no, then you got to figure it out. So that's that's kind of the way that I manage the flow. It's a great answer. Um, and you talked about being pragmatic. It's an incredibly pragmatic answer, right? Uh, it's just a, it, at the end of the day, it's just about having an awareness and not being afraid to have those conversations as you need to. I know we're coming up on time, uh, Jim, so I want to be conscientious of that. One question that I ask all my guests, and I'll ask it to you, and that is, uh, and it may be hard to, to narrow it down to one thing, or maybe it's not hard, but over the time that you have built your consulting practice, biggest, most valuable lesson for, for you, for Jim, that you've learned over that period of time related to being a consultant, being an advisor, running a business, whatever it may be. Most important thing is always letting your clients know that you care about them and demonstrating that in everything you say and do with them. And that way, then they know that you're working with them to help them and their enterprise be better, that you're not doing this to make a buck. You're not doing this to get more business from them. You're doing this because you care about them. And for me, maybe it's because I'm a psychologist. I don't know, but I think a lot of non-psychologists are like this. But I guess, Scott, you're like this, is that we're all in some version of the helping profession. Yeah. And that I always try to keep that in front of myself. Like, you know, I'm doing projects and I'm doing testing this and that. But the reason I'm doing this is I have a client who has a need and I have a skill set that can allow them to get that need satisfied, fixed, whatever it is. And I'll say to folks, I'm not the stupidest consultant in the world and I'm not the smartest consultant in the world, but I may be one of the most caring consultants in the world. And what that, what happens then is it not only lets your clients know that your heart's in the right place, it creates this going back to this collaborative partnership. I want to work with them and they want to work with me. And the best assignments I've ever been into is where we're both contributing our ideas as experts at what we have. Me, again, I'm an organizational consultant, and them, they're experts in their company and their industry. And when we combine them, we can kind of figure out anything. And so, but it has to start with, you know, very foundationally, you got to build the trust. And 
in good times and even in bad times, we'll figure this out. And, you know, it's, it's not always easy doing this work. You have some challenges sometimes that don't have an immediate answer. And so either, you know, I'll go visit my clients or they'll come here or we'll have a, a phone call or a Zoom call. And we'll say, all right, what do we have here? What, and I'll usually start with, what do you need to see happen? I, they always go first. What do you need to see happen? And they start to talk. And then they, of course, are going to want to know what I want to do. And even if it's different, I'll say, all right, well, so we've discovered we're 180 degrees different. You know, that's not even a headline. Let's figure out what needs to be accomplished. And let's see if we can start inching towards something that looks a little bit like a consensus. And that most times works really well. Again, it goes back to if you have the right clients and it sort of goes back to target the folks who match your model of consulting. And if you do that, these conversations are much easier to have. So that's the most valuable thing I'll say also. So you asked me for some other things where I get that. My parents owned a pharmacy a thousand years ago. I watched them in business. They did this all the time. Yeah. So in some ways, I like to say, the solutions group is kind of like a little pharmacy living in the middle of it. And it's not an actual pharmacy, but they taught me customer service. Yeah. And they were masters at this stuff. And they did it because they love people. And I went, well, that seems to be in my gene set. I can do that. And I like to do that. So I watched them do that for so many years. And I just that's what I bring to my clients. You never can go wrong doing that, Scott. You never yeah. can go wrong. It's great. It's great. Jim, thank you so much for the time. I want to, because some of the folks out there may have a need for your services, uh, or very likely they may have clients or future clients who have needs of your services, whether it's uh, in the coaching space or the assessment space or any of the recruiting and hiring uh, work that you do for organizations. Um, if someone wants to learn more about you and the solutions group, where should they go? Where can they go? Oh, a couple of things. One, just email me. Um, so uh, my email is drjim at tsgdrjim.com. You want to call me? Sometimes in a meeting, but I'll, I'll get back to you within 24 hours, 585-387-9700. And then the website right now, it's www.tsgdrjim.com. Um, it's about to be a new website, so there may be a new URL coming, which is www.getdrjim.com. Much better URL. Um, so, uh, be watching for that. But certainly, phone or email, you want to reach out to me, you want to have a discussion about something. I'm including also folks who are saying, I coach consultants. So if somebody's sure. saying, you know, I want to learn more about how to do this and I want to build my practice, we can at least have a discussion. The first discussion, there's no obligation. But I think that we are, as professional advisors, I think we're in a tremendous field, regardless of the subject matter expertise. I, agree. I think now more than ever, People are looking for answers about how to figure out things. And if we can be the trusted advisor, there's a lot to that. So also, Scott, I want to thank you back for you know being able to feature me in these interviews you're doing with folks. Um, I think you're doing something that's very valuable for your client base and for the world of professional advising. So thank you back.
Well, thank you. And and Jim, thank you again for being so generous with your time and your expertise today. And I would just encourage if anybody out there watching this, listening to this has questions for Jim, um, he's he's offered. So uh, uh, I would encourage you to take advantage of that generosity. Um, and Jim, thank you for, again, uh, carving out some time today. I know this is going to serve a lot of folks and I look forward to staying in touch and being a part of your uh, continued network. Absolutely. Scott, thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.